about a couple weeks ago, uh, I was invited to speak at a local gathering of, of college students later in the summer, and I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, when I was asked, they told me that the topic uh, for the summer was uh, going to be spiritual disciplines, and they wanted me to pick one of the spiritual disciplines and then come and speak about it. And as I looked at the list, it included all the things that you would expect it to say, things like study of scripture, uh, prayer, solitude, all the things that we tend to think of uh, when it comes to spiritual disciplines. But what was not on the list was the discipline of giving. And in many ways, I can't say that, that I was surprised. Giving doesn't normally uh, make these sorts of lists of spiritual disciplines because Christians don't often think of giving as a spiritual exercise. Checks and uh, online budgeting and online banking and bills don't feel very spiritual uh, to most of us. But if you read the scriptures, you'll discover that the Bible talks more about money than probably any other ethical, moral, or social issue. In fact, Jesus probably talked about money almost more than anything else. But Christians often tend to be very quiet about it. We tend to be quick to condemn sexual sins or, or sins related to those sorts of things, but we're typically very silent when it comes to things like greed and hoarding of money and the lust for money. And we certainly don't think that they have any connection to our faith. Those things feel very different, that somehow they've become divorced from our faith. They're too earthly to feel spiritual. But yet again, if you look at the scriptures, you'll discover that how you spend your money just might be one of the most spiritual things that you engage in. So this morning what I want to look to what I want to do is to look at this idea through the lens of two passages in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark puts them together closely because he's trying to, to communicate a point. The first is a story that's found uh, in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. It goes like this. And he sat down, he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The second story is, is found in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. 
She is anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Uh, We desperately need to hear your voice, and we often hear it through your word, Father. So speak uh, through that instrument to our hearts that we might see you clearly here this morning. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. In these passages, we we really see two women. Uh, One is a widow. Uh, The other is an unnamed woman in Mark's account. But what we know from the other Gospels is it was Mary, one of Jesus' closest friends. And what is in common about these women is that both are held up as examples of what it means to give. They are examples to us of the ways that God wants us to think about the money and the possessions that we have. And I want to look at a few things from their respective stories that that really meant something significant in Jesus' day, but also mean something significant for you and I today when we think about this topic. The first thing that we see about them is that in both cases, their giving was selfless. Their giving was was selfless. If you were with us last week, you'll know that we, we started this series on, on radical generosity, and we're only doing it for three weeks. This is the second week, but last week we looked at a very, I would say, harsh passage from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 1. And in that passage, God is condemning his people, the Israelites, for living just like all the nations did around them. They were called to live differently. They were called to live in a neighborly way, to treat others with the same love and care and intensity with which they treated themselves. They were to think and behave differently, especially when it came to their prosperity, to their money and their possessions. You see, the nations around them were a lot like what we're used to. They were nations that were characterized by accumulation and extraction and acquisition. They would accumulate as much as they could. They would extract what they could from others for their own benefit. And they would acquire as much as they could and consume them for their own pleasure and benefit. God's people were told that they were supposed to be different. They were to be characterized by neighborliness. But what we learn from that passage in Isaiah is that they were far from it. They were supposed to be characterized that way, but they weren't. Instead, they looked just like all the other nations, and the resulting social inequities were apparent because of it. And so God comes to them and tells them that their worship is abhorrent. God doesn't hold back at all. He tells them that their worship is shallow, it is hypocritical, and it is worthless because it had become disconnected from their calling to neighborliness. They had done the same thing that you and I tend to do to divorce our spirituality from our neighborliness, from our generosity, from our giving, and the way we think about money. We also saw that the opposite of neighborliness is actually selfishness, and that selfishness and self-absorption, in the end, are the things that contribute to us feeling very miserable. 
And this is certainly true when it comes to our money and how we spend it. I didn't realize this week that this this week, and I never even thought about it. But do you realize that uh, that the one of the root words for miserable is miser? And when you hear the word miser, you think of someone who hoards their wealth for their own selfish gain. In our first passage, Jesus tells the story about a widow and her particular gift when she was in the temple. Widows in Jesus' day were uh, particularly vulnerable in what was a very male-dominated society. To not have a husband would, to, would be to have one exposed to all the forces in society. And it's clear that this woman had in many ways been left behind by the society in which she lived in. And the vulnerable always tend to be left behind in systems of accumulation and extraction. And yet this woman, in a very beautiful act, enters into the temple and gives two small copper coins. And Jesus, observing all this, has something to say about this woman's faith. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus is, is making a comparison here that the rich give out of their abundance. They are already secure financially, but this woman gives everything that she has. She, she gives out of her own financial insecurity. Her existence was already vulnerable, and yet she makes herself even more vulnerable. She gave to such a degree that she would be forced to trust in God for her next provision. And Jesus celebrates this. Friends, when I think of giving, I think of myself, and I think that often we only want to give out of our abundance. We think I'll probably give more when I feel like I'm more financially secure. And yet what often happens is the amount of money that makes us feel financially secure always keeps getting more and more the more that we earn. You see, the drive for security is often our attempt to live in such a way so that we don't really have to trust in God for his provision. At the end, it's trying to tackle our own fears with our own misplaced sense of control. This is why Jesus says later in the Gospels, you can't serve both God and money. Because what he's saying is either your money will be your source of security and trust or God will. There's no middle ground. It is a powerful either or. But what Jesus is saying here in this passage is pretty radical when you think about it. Because what Jesus is saying here is that you should give so generously that it forces you to have to trust in God for his provision. To intentionally put yourself in an insecure place for the sake of your neighbor. This sort of giving certainly works against our selfishness. It intentionally disadvantages us for the sake of our neighbor. And in the process, it forces us to trust in God 
in really bold and radical ways. This is radical generosity. It is giving that is selfless. Alan Cole, in response to this passage, is a commentator who wrote uh, this quote in response to this passage. God measures giving not by what you give, but by what you keep for yourselves. You see, neighborly selflessness ought to characterize our giving. But these passages also talk about giving in another way. It talks about giving that is costly. The second passage we read uh, tells us about another woman. As we said before, it was most likely Mary, which we've learned from the other gospel accounts. And what Mary does is she anoints Jesus during the last week of his earthly life. The passage tells us that she took her most prized possession, a flask of, of pure nard or ointment, and she spent it all in Jesus in this incredibly bold act of affection. And what we learn from uh, the other passages is that this flask of ointment was worth one entire year's wage, all of it gone in one instant. And she's held up to all of us as an example of one who's willing to give in a way that is costly. See, many of us are, are happy to, to give, but we all don't often give in ways where we really feel it, in, in costly ways. We're like the rich who only want to give out of their abundance. You've all heard about people that live above their means. You've, you've heard of these people, right? They, they go on lavish vacations. They do all sorts of interesting stuff and they live above their means, meaning they, they put it all on a credit card and wonder later on how they'll pay for it or that it'll somehow work out. And we're told that the wise way instead to live is to live within your means, to only spend the money that you actually have. Well, what Jesus is advocating for here is something that is even more radical. He's saying, don't just live within your means. Instead, live below your means so that you can actually give more away. You see, the, li- the widow went from poverty to deeper poverty because of what she wanted to give in the temple. Mary could have sold this flask and gotten an entire year's wage back for it. Wouldn't it be nice to just get an entire year's wage out of one thing that you sell? But both of them chose to live a more insecure life because of their costly gift. In both cases, they intentionally lived below of what they had so that they could give more away. I read about a really simple example uh, of this this week as I was preparing for this message. I read a story about a man uh, whose practice was, like many of us, to go to Starbucks every day and grab uh, a cup of coffee on his way to work. And one day he started thinking about how he felt just a certain measure of lack of generosity in his own heart. So what he decided to do is he decided to take his Starbucks money that he would spend each day and instead sponsor a child through World Vision. He figured that feeding a starving child might just be a little more important than his daily Frappuccino. He had a great sense of of humor about it as he wrote this. 
And what he began to do is he began to write letters to this child that he was sponsoring, and that child began to write letters back to him. And he said that something simple just like that added so much profound joy and meaning to his life. Now, he, of course, had a salary that could afford a trip to Starbucks each day, but instead, he intentionally disadvantaged himself in a very small way so that he could give more of his money away. Friends, how you and I choose to spend our money may be the most or one of the most spiritual things that we do. What are ways that you and I could intentionally disadvantage ourselves so that we could give more? As I thought about that this week, uh, I remembered my childhood, and, and I don't know if, if, you, if you're my age, you probably know what this is like, but I, I, when I grew up, I had two or maybe three television channels at most. I remember complaining about it, right? Uh, but I somehow survived and turned into a wonderful person, I suppose. Uh, and, but things are very different now, right? I can remember a couple weeks ago, I got our cable bill and was furious about it. And I declared in an instant, we're going to just get rid of cable. And uh, so what we decided to do is, well, we've got Amazon Prime and we've got Net for, we'll get Netflix and that'll make up for, for, for our lack of cable. And so I do that and then I call the cable company and I start negotiating with the cable company. And what I discover is that it's more economically advantageous for me through some bundling scenario to keep the cable. So now I realize now we have Amazon Prime, we have Netflix, and now we have cable. We probably have a thousand television channels and probably 995 of them we don't ever watch. And I realized that this week. These are the subtle things that often creep in from our culture if we are not careful to watch for them. These are subtle things that often enter our lives that keep us from the end of the day of being truly generous. What it made me realize is that one of the most worshipful and neighborly things that we can do is to honestly look at our finances and look for ways to intentionally live below our means. To look for ways to give money away that actually costs us something. I've been reading a, a great book the past couple weeks called uh, The Paradox of, of Generosity, and it's written by uh, a sociologist and professor out at the University of Notre Dame. And what he did is he studied this idea of generosity, and, and what he discovered is that those who intentionally live below their means in order to give generous sums of money away end up living a happier and more fulfilled life. It's almost as if God designed it that way, right? You see, being neighborly, intentionally loving your neighbor as yourself means that we give our money away in both selfless and costly ways. But finally, the last thing we see is that that sort of giving winds up being reflective. That sort of giving winds up being reflective. I heard once, I've not seen the data for it, so, but, but it sounds like it would be true. Uh, I heard once that if the church was really able to get itself together, 
it could do incredible things to address poverty and social inequities, not just in our city, but also in our culture. A lot of us would agree that probably the church feels like in many ways that it is waning in its cultural influence, but there still is enough of us that if we really got together, then we could really make some influence in our society. But sadly, many churches struggle just to pay the bills, let alone to proactively care for the needy and the oppressed. Many have have stopped giving to the church because they believe the church has become more concerned with bells and whistles than with its own neighborliness. And maybe they're right. Maybe we have lost what the true purpose of all this really is. But think about what could happen if God's people ended up giving in really selfless and costly ways, ways, think about churches that have the means to make really tangible differences in the lives of the poor and oppressed. Think of the ways the church could move out of the shadows of irrelevance and really and truly be able to reflect neighborliness in our city and our culture. Think of the opportunities that it would present to be reflective of the neighborliness of Christ and ultimately reflective of the power of the gospel. Because, friends, that really is what this is all about. It's really a call to reflect the the gospel in the way that we think about and the way that we spend our money. Because think about what the gospel tells us. Think about Christ and the story of redemption, the very things that we believe about the gospel. Because it tells us that you and I were the spiritually oppressed and vulnerable. We were bankrupt of all righteousness and goodness of our own. And so what Christ did is he left all the bliss and the wealth of heaven behind. He set it all aside. He became one of us, born to teenagers in a crummy town and in the most selfless and costly act known to human history. He gave up his life for you and for me. He did it so that you and I, people who were poor and wretched due to sin, could inherit all of the wealth and the bliss of heaven. Philippians 2 says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Christ, the selfless one, gave the most costly thing for you that you and I might experience life. So give in such a way that is reflective of that good news. 
Don't divorce your spirituality from your bank account. Don't get caught up in a world of extraction and acquisition. Don't get caught up in accumulating things for your own consumption. Don't get caught up in the misery of self-absorption. Instead, give yourself to neighborliness. Give in selfless and costly ways. Give in ways that disadvantage yourself. And when you do, know that your giving is reflective of Christ's ultimate gift for you. You will be reflecting the gospel to a world that desperately needs to see it. Let's pray.